Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Brian McElhaney and Nick Kocher grew up near each other in Atlanta, but only became a sketch comedy duo while attending NYU together. As Britannic, they've made viral videos for YouTube, Cracked, College Humor, and Funny or Die, catapulting them onto Variety's 10 Comics to Watch list in 2013. They've acted together in How I Met Your Mother, Much Ado About Nothing, and the indie comedy film Balls Out. They've written together for Saturday Night Live, as well as It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and The Goodwin Games. They've been the voices of the Cartoon Network. And now, in the summer of 2022, 14 years after they first took to the comedy stages of New York City, they're back performing live once more, taking their best sketches to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. But first, they sat with me to talk about their journey. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode, as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance, and now that that's out of the way, let's get to it! Last things first, um, I'm here with, with Brian McElhaney. Hello. Britannic. Did you guys, I know you guys were both from the Atlanta area. Did you decide to go to NYU together, or was that just a happy happenstance? You know, we, it's kind of debatable between us. I think we both have different inclinations of what this answer is. We went to, grew up in Atlanta. We were around each other all the time as kids. Went to the same preschool, went to the same acting camp, played in the same Little League. Our friends knew each other. Our parents knew each other. We didn't know each other, though, until we were, like, 17 years old. It was very weird. We kept, like, almost intersecting and then just, like, not. But then, uh, senior year of high school, we got really close. We both applied to NYU. And I remember Nick saying something like he got uh, accepted to NYU because he got, like, an invitation to their opening day thing for the freshman kids. And my friend Travis also got that. And so then when I got it, I was under the impression that they were already going and I really wanted to go to school with my friends. So I was like immediately like, yes. And then I think Nick said later that he felt like he decided to go to NYU after that. I thought I was going to NYU cause Nick was going, but I think in Nick's mind, he decided to go after I went. So I don't even know who's right and who's wrong about this, but it felt to me like the vibe was both of us at least implicitly or subconsciously were sort of deciding together to go to NYU. Um, my other school was UGA that I really wanted to go to, not because I fit the vibe at all. I really don't, but it was in Georgia and it was a big state school. And I wanted to maybe just like do a, just a liberal arts education and just be close to home. And it was kind of between this like huge football state school or this like, you know, conservatory for the arts in New York city. It was such a coin flip between two very different paths in my life. And I'm glad I went to NYU at this point. Right. If you went to UGA, do you, think you would have even wanted to become a filmmaker slash performer or I think about this a lot because I was trying to figure out what the difference because there's a part of me that's like film school is a scam like what do you really learn you should just get out there and start making stuff that's how you learn everything that being said a lot of the kids who were doing film when I was growing up ended up stopping doing film as they went to college because they just couldn't find anyone around them to like help them do it it takes a community especially to make film and do theater so if I wasn't around passionate people, I might've dropped it. The fact that I went to NYU, I was just constantly around people who were doing it. And because of that, 
that fueled kind of my ambition to keep going. So I do think, you know, I, I do think being around the right people, when I meet people who are like in small towns and want to do this and they ask for advice, one of my pieces of advice is go to a city where there's a lot of people like you doing what you want to do because it does just sort of keep you going. And there's Nick. Hello. Brian was just telling me about how you guys met in the Christian Ska summer camp. That's right. Yeah, five iron yeah. friends played every day and held uh, <laughs> to the masters. Yes, and we were just fully indoctrinated with uh, the, our good lord, the mighty, mighty boss Jones. Uh huh. Um, yeah, no, five iron frenzy that you were using their I music. Remember, yeah, there initially. was. So <laughs> I figured there must be something there. You know what it was? I'll tell you exactly what that was. This is when Nick and I became friends, senior of high school. I found. I was searching for the Canadian national anthem on LimeWire, <laughs> you know, just <laughs> such a sentence. 2004, everybody. 2004. You know, I think I'd heard Terrence and Philip sing it from the South Park movie or from a South Park album. And I was like, I love this Canadian national anthem so much. I want to find every version of it because that's mm-hmm. who I am as a person. And I just looked it up and there's a song called Oh Canada. I was like, oh, this is probably it. And it was a Five Iron Frenzy song about Canada that is definitely not the national anthem. But it was like very weird and fast paced and I loved their vibe. So I downloaded all their other songs and one was called Far, Far Away. And I didn't like the verses at all, but that chorus made me like fucking groove, man. I like it became my favorite song. and I played it all the time in high school at every party. Everyone was so annoyed by it. Everyone hated me for it. And then Nick Kocher came along and Nick was like, I like this song. I like, well, maybe you liked trolling people with the song. I'm not sure what it was, but you were at least on my wavelength that this was a fun thing to kind of dance to. So that became kind of like our little song that we liked and no one else did. Yeah. And when we started Britannic, we were like, well, if there's going to be a song to put at the end of this, there's only one. And it's. This yeah, there, there was a lot of things that Brian did that, that I don't think hit with the general high school crowd, but hit huge with me. And that was like uh, the basis of our friendship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a very... Cranking people. Brian used to do this cranking motion whenever anybody got insulted. He'd be like, oh, you just got cranked. That's right. And I was like, what was that? That's incredible. You could backwards crank yourself. And I just tried to show that to a lot of people and everyone was like, get out of here. Who are you anyway? Then Nick was like, I'll do it. I'm on it. And then we created Schnanking and the Mankerton came out of that. turned and overturned. Oh my God, Mott turned and overturned. That was, wow. So many, so many potential MTV2 shows. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, oh my God, we... I don't even want to explain mob churn and overturn. It's so stupid. It was like back when people were going, oh, snap all the time. I was like, I hate saying it was snap. That's so stupid. But you said mop churn and overturn. And yeah. like you did a mopping motion, a churning motion, and overturning your hand. And Nick and I would do that. And if someone did that to you, you'd have to do it backwards and jump, like skip backwards as they were doing it. And we did it to each other all the time. We did it to each yeah. other on the beach in Cancun during spring break as seniors, thinking we were like really like funny and cool. And I bet we looked like tremendous idiots, but we loved it. Is that really why you two ended up being a duo instead of a larger group? I, I mean, I know, Nick, you were part of a larger group at NYU called Brave Aunt Beth. But... Wow, incredible research team you have. Uh, <laughs> There's been a lot of deep dive questions here. <laughs> um, yeah, I. so, well, we were always... I mean, I don't know what he's Brian has said so far, but we, we, were, we were working together pretty quickly upon meeting and like making stupid, silly videos. 
And then I was doing, I did these 24 hour play things at and in NYU that were kind of just like a 24 hour sketch show to some extent. And in my like acting studio at Stella Adler, and there were some really funny, great writers in that, that would do that. And it was, it was always so, I was so impressed when I had first gone to see it. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. And so like, Slowly, I became friends with some of those people. And then, like, our junior, my junior year, one of those guys started a group, a lo- which which became Brave Aunt Beth. He had been part of a different sketch group, and he wanted to start his own different group. And so he started this group. And it was, like, this great, really talented group of, of writers and actors. Mostly, they were all actors, but they also wrote, and they were good at writing. And... Nobody in the group knew film and the whole idea that Pete McElligot, who started the group, wanted to do was he was like, I want to make online videos or whatever. And we just wanted to do live theater shows. Anyhow, it was eight people. It was very hard to like nobody liked saying no to each other. We made, you know, some sketches and stuff, but we didn't we didn't really. I think the the, the missing element with that group was one we we had five different leaders over the two years or whatever that we were together. And then two, it was like, you know, someone would write a script and people would be like, yeah, great. But there would be no, like, let's do a second draft of that. Let's do multiple, like, and so it was, it's just, it's hard. I think when you, I mean, it was, I don't even remember. It was also the members were constantly fluctuating. So it was like five to eight people. And it's like, it's hard to get everybody together. It's hard to get everybody, you know, synced up and half the group moved to new Orleans at one point. So it just sort of was falling apart at the same time that Brian and I started doing videos. Like we both just kind of were like, we were about, we were going to be graduating the next year. And it just sort of seemed like inevitable of like, yes, let's, we need to work together. We should, we should create these videos. We were also big fans of Derek comedy. I was just going to mention Derek, how much, how much is watching them go from NYU to the UCB to YouTube and then just blowing up? How much did that influence your fully? It was, I think we, we copied them. Like there was, that was three dudes and then a, a director and producer. And we saw them perform live at UCB every time we could. They had they did this epic cage match run in like 2007, 2008. And they had this show called Street Legal they would do that was like an hour-long sh- monthly show where they would do new stand-up, they'd show a new video, and they'd do improv. And so Nick and I, and then they were like, they were putting these videos online that were getting such traction. And I remember watching those as I was graduating and be like, we can do that. Like, that doesn't take that much money but they look great. They're like little short films. I mean, they're sketches, but like it felt like an immediate way to like leave film school and make something that I could be proud of that like didn't, you know, cost an arm and a leg. So we basically started doing sketch comedy because we were so inspired by them doing sketch comedy. And then we started doing our monthly show at UCB. It was like every month, one hour, new video sketch, new standup, new improv. We kind of just like copied their model. So like, we really looked up to them in a very big way. They were like three years older than us at NYU too. So they kind of like had this, this senior freshman kind of thing. So it was, uh, yeah, they were a very important in the beginning of us. One of the things that's kind of amazing just to think about in retrospect, but looking back, there was a brief period of time and this coincided with you guys starting up as a group live and then on video 
when you made videos, they weren't just necessarily for YouTube. Like one of your one of your earliest biggest hits, the Academy Award winning trailer, that was initially for Cracked.com, as I yeah. recall. Oh yeah, a lot of them were for Cracked. We we signed some deal with Cracked, which is like, oh, yeah, was we very interesting. But, but but they would, you know, Cracked would pay us like a thousand dollars a video or something like that, and that would like kind of allowed us to make the video and then and we had an arrangement where it would be like on cracked for a week and then it would go to youtube i think maybe yeah, maybe, like maybe it was like the academy award trailer they let us take it after like two days because it had just done yeah. so well in those two days they're just like we're done with the viral part of it you guys can take it yeah, and we had initially pitched that to college humor actually we 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 sent them the script and they were like yeah we love this we'll do it but the way our system works, it's is like it's going to take a couple months for us to set about this, that. to 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 like set up the production for it. And we were like, no, 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 the Oscars is in eleven days. We need to have it out by then. And they were like, no, we're not. I mean, like we can't do that. And so then wow. we went and about killed ourselves doing yeah. this the craziest shoot of of this video. Yeah, yeah. It was so the Oscars insane. were on a Sunday. I had to fly to Atlanta sometime in the middle of the shoot, but we shot over like 11 days. And then I think we were done shooting Thursday or Friday. And then like in the most epic editing session I've ever had in my life, it was pretty much edited Thursday night to Friday morning. And then by Friday afternoon, it was on the internet. And then that was, you know, it was at 48 hours for the Oscars for it to grow. And yeah. uh, did, did that seem though, like, like a winning path at the time was signing these contracts, whether it was with cracked or college humor or funny or die. Or I don't think we were thinking other people. I think we were thinking we've always been. And I think this is like, we, you know, financially, this was not the the right. We've never thought well financially in in any capacity of anything. Everything we've done. Yeah. So it's like, had we been smart and like, you know, gone the YouTube route, we could, you know, maybe we'd be millionaires or whatever. But we always were like, we wanted a TV show. We wanted to make movies. And so like the YouTube was like always a, was a, was a stepping stone, I guess, to get there. So like, we didn't, like cracked was was like you know got good views on the videos we really liked the whole team that was there at the time like michael swaim and dan o'brien and like uh, uh all those guys were a soren like a- everybody was like so supportive and really friendly so we loved like those guys they would you know give us enough money that we could put you know we could make a little bit of money and you know make the video even though it's like we the budget for every video was like zero dollars like you know the the biggest expense was like food um and because we just did everything so so cheaply yeah so it was never like i we weren't even we weren't really thinking that far ahead we were just like yeah just keep putting videos online until someone gives us a tv show and we didn't understand like and we're oh, still it's still our model that. by the way <laughs> yeah <laughs> still trying that 15 years later yeah our thing is often like when we have a really good idea we just get hyper focused of like we have to just get this online to for people to see like whatever the best way to do that without anyone like kind of trying to you know put their own spin on it like we don't like the idea of anyone trying to tell us what to do so it's mm-hmm. like cracked is like yo do whatever you want here's a thousand bucks we're like great that we'll just take that right now because it seemed like 
a better pathway for it, get, it to get viewed at the time than just putting it on our YouTube channel. The other thing they would do is they would title the videos the most infuriating title <laughs> in the world where it would be like, what not to say to like you're like when you're having an awkward situation with a girl or something, we're like, no, what are you talking about? Well, it's now how everything is pretty much titled. It's right. not like news articles are titled now, but it was like yeah. back in the early days where we like to have like titles for our sketches where you don't quite know what they're about and you got to watch it and it's a little vague and, uh, but you know, that just didn't work. But then again, once we titled a sketch, sexy pool party, it got 13 million <laughs> views in a day. So we're like, okay, yeah. maybe we should be titling more yeah. things. It's all about it's all about SEO. You know, you got to have that search engine optimization. Yeah, I didn't even know what that acronym yeah. was. I remember we had a we had a meeting with the Fine Brothers one time who we love, oh, right. and yeah. they the way they spoke about understanding the YouTube algorithm, we were both just like glassy eyed the whole time. We we're like, yeah. what? You guys know <laughs> what you're doing yeah. to a level that makes no sense to us. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so wait, so was Cartoon Network the first place to actually put you guys on TV proper? Probably. Um, it was 2010. Technically, technically, Brian was in a regional radio commercial. That's right. I was 11. I was, yeah, that was huge for me. It was huge for me. Um, and, and I was in, uh, I was like essentially a featured extra in a Colbert Report sketch. Mm. Uh, what was, I forgot about that. What was that sketch? It was about mayonnaise. It was, or it was about Miracle Whip. Oh yeah, it was like Miracle Whip had done a commercial where it was like all these guys like partying and like rocking out with Miracle Whip, and the, the Colbert Report was making fun of it because it's like it's Miracle Whip. Like what? What do you do? like? Why is this a party? And so they did their own kind of version of that with mayonnaise. Uh, and I think my character plugs an electric guitar into a tub of mayonnaise and like mm. rocks out. Do you still get those like two cent royalty checks from that? No, certainly not. I think that was non-union or something. I don't know that I was ever paid for that. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Cartoon Network is the first time we were like really put on. And we did like a whole slew of commercials for them Memorial Day weekend 2010. And uh, it was looking like we were going to become the new faces of the network for a minute. And then our agent was like, don't do it. And we were like, we're 23 and broke. What are you talking about? Don't do it. And he's like, you don't want to be the faces of a network as you try to become, you know, pitch shows to other networks. You'll just become this one thing. And perhaps he was right. Um, But I mean, it almost immediately turned good because the moment we said no to it, which is really hard to do. They were like, well, how about you just be the voices instead and we pay you more. And we were like, okay, uh, yes. <laughs> so that happened for six and a half years. Yeah. Uh, nice. Which was the best job we've ever had and will ever have. We really hit the jackpot with that one. Yeah. And I, it spoiled us. It's on the, it, it should have happened at the end of our career, honestly. It that have would have been great. Time. Yeah. Like, well, doing so much. I'll tell Adult Swim if they're listening, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right well, in, ready thing. to do voiceovers again. A funny thing about that is I interned it at Adult Swim in high school and they had me writing bumpers for Adult Swim, like the white writing on black background. And then upon graduating high school, I was doing, that was the voice of Cartoon Network. And I was like, boy, I've been really taking people in and out of the commercials of Cartoon Network for, for quite some time. time. 
And so that fact, was, I believe you put some, some stuff in those uh, bumpers like Crank and Schnank and Frenzy yeah. lyrics. Like we were making, you were making Britannic sketches and observations. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I knew what it was back in the day. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, who? I don't know. I don't have any idea if any of them ever aired because they could have literally just been telling me I was writing them and then throwing them in the trash. Did uh, you get that internship because you were in Atlanta and they were in Atlanta? Uh, yeah, essentially, yeah. So what happened there was my mom was was like working at some high school day function something with Michael Olean, mm-hmm. who was... Uh, uh, at the time, I think like a vice president or something at Cartoon Network. And he was like, and my mom told him about some stuff that I'd written. And he was like, Oh, he's, he's really funny. Like, you know, you should have him, you know, I'll, I'll, he should come spend a couple weeks in the summer with us. And so that's sort of how that happened. And then years later, when we auditioned for Cartoon Network, we were, the camera was broken when we were in the room and the producers, the all the producers are from Atlanta were there. And so we just had to kill time for like 10 minutes while they were fixing the camera. So we were just talking to the producers and we were connecting about Atlanta. And then I was like, wait a minute, do you guys know Michael Oline? And they were like, yeah, that's our boss. And I was like, oh my God, I fell asleep on the first day of my internship with him. And he like nearly fired me. And like, we were able to like share stories about him and then he came, he ended up coming to set and being like, you fell asleep on the first day of your internship. Uh, so it was a very, it was a, it was weird how that kind of went full circle. Right. You, you mentioned that you guys just wanted to have a TV show. There was a chance in 2013, you had a Comedy Central pilot. What happened yes. there? Next question. No, <laughs> it's we've had a chance a few times. I feel like we've yeah we had a Comedy Central pilot in 2013 that we shot that exists on Vimeo um, under a private link, and we're really <laughs> proud of it. It's great. We loved working with everyone. We really thought it was going to go uh, the series, and then it didn't. And then we tried again to do just a pure sketch show with Comedy Central a few years ago, and wrote a wrote a script. And some of that has become like sketches that we've now put on YouTube. Aren't we actually just shot a sketch from? our pilot draft that we're going to put on YouTube, hopefully in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah. And then, you know, we've, we've been working on other projects that, that don't star us. Uh, they're like in development right now, but yeah, I mean, we still would love to have the Britannic show happen. And I have this theory that if we get like 20 years, we're just making YouTube videos at a high quality and like we're 42 and people are, we're still doing it. I feel like they're going to have to give it to us. Like it's, no one does that. It's insane to be like, wait, we're 42 in 20 years of making videos in 20 years. We're going to be 42. What's your math here? From when we started making videos. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Let me explain once again. Like if what? Go How 20 old years total. <laughs> we're 22 now, right? I'm fully delusional. Um, I just feel like we've just, it's almost, because everyone we started doing sketch comedy with when we began isn't really doing it anymore. We're still kind of clinging on and performing and making YouTube sketches, like, which might not be the best route, but we just kind of can't stop doing it. So I kind of just have a theory of like, just, we got to just keep doing it. I think it's going to be longer. I think when, if we're 60 or or, or even Maybe 70 and we're still doing it. I think then it's like, oh, these these old guys. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. This will be great. Like, yeah, these really old. <laughs> if we keep the 
quality of and consistent, there becomes a certain point somewhere between two and five decades once you begin where something snaps and people go like, okay, we have to give these people a shot. So, well, well, wouldn't like most of your contemporaries who aren't making the YouTube videos anymore, wouldn't you agree that they're not making them either because they leveled up and they're doing films and TV or they got burnt out trying to satisfy the ever-changing algorithm? Or one of them leveled up and <laughs> the others didn't. I think um, that's the, the premise of the movie Don't Think Twice. Yes, exactly. Michael Bigley is improv. Yes, right? yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, that definitely happens. Some people just... Well, first of all, I think the fact that we have two people makes it easier. Like Nick said, when he had eight people in a sketch group, it fell apart pretty quickly. And it's especially hard to keep that going for years and people like start wanting to new, new projects and have different you know paths in their life that they're doing with two people it's hard but it is sustainable so i think we're lucky if there if we were three people it probably wouldn't have lasted this long so that's been one of the reasons why you know we've just been able to keep it going yeah i think I that definitely the youtube algorithm is a major bummer because it is like it's i mean especially it's hard to break in but it's, I mean, yeah. like all the social media algorithms are are a bit of a bummer just by, by the inherent thing of like, you know, you have this X amount of followers and then you'll put up some sort of post. And unless that post like does remarkably well, it is viewed by fewer than your followers. And it's sort of like in my head, and this sounds so naive in the grand scheme of algorithms, I suppose, but I'm like at least everybody should get to see it. Right. Like not, not some small chunk of people. It's like, you know, I miss the old, the old chronological Instagram algorithm or whatever. Right. The original feed where you just saw it in order. And then like, and I, yeah, I loved like the, like the, the the one thing that was really cool was like that back when the front page of YouTube was the same for everyone and really meant something like it was, it was, you know, that was such a cool thing to like get something on the front of that. And it, it, you know, it would just instantly blow up. Yeah. So it's like the algorithm is definitely a bummer because one, we don't have the energy or time to like figure out how to do that. And then also you just have to upload so much to really like so regularly to like have it be favorable to you and it's like what we like to do is take a long time and get make the sketches really good and put them out and it's you know it's it's my one hesitation about ever having a sketch show is like when you have a sketch show this the the quality suffers at a certain point as opposed to like a narrative show where you're just following the characters and seeing where it goes. And, you know, obviously some of those suffer as well as time goes on, but like a sketch show just almost inevitably will because you just run out of ideas. I mean, key and peel, I think really have probably the best hit record in terms of like the yeah, note, yeah. like they were they good were the whole time. So many years. It's kind of crazy. We keep coming back to YouTube because it's just our place to do what we do the way we want to do it. You know, I guess if we had a sketch show that really let us do whatever we wanted to do and we did that for a few years, we might then be like, okay, we're done with this. This is a lot of work. But (laughs) as long as like, you know, if we work on other jobs, which are great, but like we always have this like, it's almost like a magnetism back to YouTube because it's just like our little sandbox to play in. So there there was a, a period of time when at least people in the industry might have thought that you guys were leveling up when you both appeared in this indie movie 
which is called Balls Out or Intramural, depending on where you find it. Yeah. Which, which start which co-starred a bunch of people who were or eventually were on SNL. And then you guys got hired on as writers. When when you got brought on, did you think at the time or did you hope at the time that you would become like the next Lonely Island or Good Neighbor or I mean certainly we hoped, but it was I like I mean, like, I, I, I never really thought that that was going to happen because we were, I didn't, I, I don't know. Like, maybe, maybe it was dumb to, 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 I mean, obviously it wasn't dumb because that didn't happen. But, like, I, I think that, you know, I don't know. We, we didn't, we were, we didn't, I, don't, I didn't have that many. I sort of thought, like, I was very excited about getting to work at SNL, but I didn't have too many expectations about, what was going to happen. I kind of figured, Oh, we'll write here for a few years and, and that'll be that, or we'll get fired after one. And like, uh, <laughs> something but, in the middle happened. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I kind of was like, well, I feel like this is exactly what we should do if we're here is do our sketches on this show. And so I was like, maybe that'll happen. But I think within the first couple of weeks, I was like, I don't think we're being groomed in that direction. I didn't feel like it was really aggressively not. Yeah. I don't think Lauren really understood what we were about. In fact, I know he didn't because he called Nick, Brian and Brian, Nick most of the time during pitch meetings. So. <laughs> oh, so it wasn't, it wasn't like when other video sketch groups have, have been brought on where it's like, Oh yeah, you guys do the videos. So we're going to bring on and you're going to write your own little videos that exist in the ecosystem no. of it all. They already had Good Neighbor at that yeah. time. Which they were, Good Neighbor were our buds from the very beginning of YouTube. So we were like, so, and they really helped us get on the show. So I think, like, you know, they kind of had that sort of taken care of in a way. Um, and then not only they wanted to just bring two writers on immediately as performers of people knowing who we were. So I don't really know what goes on behind the scenes there. No one does. So uh, we just sort of... yeah. Really- it seemed to me, I mean, to me, I was like, yeah, it's like we are being brought on as writers. I didn't, I did not think that, you know, I did not see, I did, I didn't, because I'm also just like, I'm not good at impressions. I'm not like, I never even like, I would have loved to have been on SNL in theory, but I never really tried for it because I'm just like, that's not really the type of performing that I do. And I think that's maybe like a little self defeatist because it's like, you know, there's plenty of performers on there that don't do impressions, but like, I, I don't know. I just never really opened my mind up to that being. It's not exactly what we do. I mean, it's adjacent, but it really, it's, you know, the way we write and perform isn't fully as, and we just established who we were for a decade. So I think if we were 21, maybe it'd been different, but we were, you know, we kind yeah. of, had so we're much so much more like conceptual based than character based when it comes to sketch. I was going to say, I remember this. So we got like, we flew to New York to uh, audition or whatever, to talk to the writers for SNL as sort of a job interview. And we flew back to LA and we landed in LA. We got a voicemail to call them and we called them from the LAX airport. And they're like, you have the job. And it was like, it was something like a Thursday that we landed and we had to be in New York, moved to New York on Monday to start. It was like, you guys have four days to get to New York and pack everything up. So I was like, fuck. So in that time I was out at a bar one night and I remember just like coming across, it was, um, 
Tim Robinson, Brooks Whelan, and Paul Britton all talking to each other, who were like three dudes who had been on SNL. And I was like, hey, guys, uh, I'm, I start SNL on Monday. Do you have any, like, tips? And I kind of knew them a little bit. And I remember Tim Robinson, who now has, like, the best sketch show ever, was like, yeah, I got one. Don't be clever. Be funny. I was like, okay, tell me more. He was like, you guys are very clever with your shit. Like, be funny in that table read. Like, that's so much more important than being clever. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cut to Nick and I, the Wednesday yeah. table read, in our little clever, like, you know, breaking the mold, meta deconstruction sketches, and no one mm-hmm. laughing. And it's like, okay, well, maybe this is not the right place for us. Yeah, it was a lot of, like, learning. It was so, the table reads are so interesting, because it's like, it was a lot of, like, Kind of like like it felt like just throwing darts in the dark where it's like yes. you throw one and you'd be like that one's definitely a bullseye nothing and then another one where you'd be like oh well I, I don't even think I was facing the right direction for that one and then that would like hit huge and so it was always and it, I was I was like I don't know what is like we're not like failing at this because we are doing well at, at you know every once in a while we get like this heat, like, you know, we have a sketch that does incredibly well, but it's like, but I have no idea. And I think this is kind of true of everybody that there is like, they don't totally know what will work and what won't. They're just sort of like, yeah, who the fuck knows? It's like the thing that you work, you spend your whole night working on dies. And then the thing you wrote in 10 minutes at 3 AM is for whatever reason hits huge. Yeah, I don't think I've ever really bombed as hard as what it feels like to not get laughs at that table read. Streeter had that idea of everyone should just have one pass button every table read to be like, pass, guys, just go ahead. This isn't working. I get it. Like the writer should be able to be like, yeah, there's sometimes where it's like, we always say like by the top of page three, there should be the first joke. Like that's often when like the game is kind of revealed what the Mm -hmm. sketch is. And if that doesn't get a laugh, it's really hard for that sketch to come back. You got like nine more pages of just silence. Yeah. And it is just in your name. Like it says like McElhaney coacher on top of every single page when your script is there. So it's like, everyone's just looking at it's it's and you're just sitting in between all the other writers and it's like 150 people in that room. It's uh it's tough. But at the same time, even though you weren't on screen, you're still, and you're it, and even though you're you're unsure of what sketches are going to hit or not, you're still for a year and a half, two years, hobnobbing with the biggest musicians and the biggest movie stars in the world. It's yeah. got to have it's got to have a weird yeah. effect on you. Yeah, golden handcuffs is the term. No, uh, it's uh, very much yeah. You're you're at the center of the cultural universe, and so even if you you know kind of hate it or if it's really tough for you. Saturday nights are really thrilling. Like they, every time it was like, it felt. Yeah. Yeah, It was always a very exciting. It was like the way I describe it is, is I've never done crystal meth, but I imagine it's a very similar experience of very (laughs) high highs, very low lows and constantly unhealthy for you. Um, And yeah, some years of the cast, I think we're on crystal meth, but. Yeah, yeah, it sounds right. Yeah, um, but but in the end, how did your SNL experience influence your individual and duo career aspirations? I feel like SNL kind of we we sort of like I don't want to say fell apart after it, but it was like kind of I feel like after that we were like took a step back from what we were doing exactly. 
Like, I mean, we kind of jumped on some other jobs, but like, I feel like we were just kind of like waiting in the mire a little bit of life. Like we feel like Britannic was on this upward trajectory and then SNL happened. It felt like that was kind of the top. And then after that, it felt like this sort of plateau and this kind of swampland for a few years to me, at least. I don't know that you felt that Nick, but it was like, it definitely felt like something broke a little bit. We had to kind of figure out what, how to put the pieces back together again. I mean, emotionally, yes, for sure. It was like, you know, it's just with any time you get fired from something, it's always, it's, you know, even if you don't like it or whatever, it's, it's, it's always like, you know, you got to pick up, it's an ego bruise for sure. I thought you didn't like bounce us to our next thing, the way that we had kind of felt like things were happening. Well, it did somewhat. I mean, it, it didn't like directly come from SNL, but we immediately afterwards, we got a we sold a sketch show to Comedy Central and we're adapting this French movie. And that to me felt like a big step up because it was like, Oh, we're, I mean, we had written a feature before, but it had been kind of a weird, you know, sketch comedy, like, you know, we were learning to write a feature with that first one. And then we, we were adapting this French movie that, um, that that was like and it was like writing a feature and it was like you know we weren't acting in it and like that that was like sort of new territory and it was like I really enjoyed that um but then yeah it was like we became you know it it was nice to have a steady job and then we we became you know freelance and it's been you know you know, going from job to job and like that free fall in between is always, is always terrifying. I think for me, it's, we kind of value different things. I think Nick really, you value yourself as a writer very much. And for me, it's like, I don't feel like alive unless we're performing. So I feel like that's kind of like where it sort of stopped for a second is the performance aspect of us being, you know, whether it was performing live, which we, you know, did sporadically or just making videos which again were also super sporadic that felt like it almost felt like the britannic specific train had slowed kind of to a halt while we we're still doing other things together it just didn't feel like it, it felt like it was a very different something different was kind of happening after snl yeah yeah i think so i mean i think it was it was definitely like i think after our pilot didn't get picked up like that was like a really that was a bummer tough blow it's it's like you know you get you build up momentum with stuff and then something happens to disrupt that momentum and it can be like even if you're in it's like you're in a higher place than you were before but you don't have that you're not moving it mm-hmm. can be very like Oh, what, you know, what, what do we do? What, what happens next? Like, then there's this weird question of what does higher place even mean? Because like right now, you know, I feel like we're going to Edinburgh and in my head, I'm like, this is the biggest thing we've done. But I've had a lot of people be like, Oh, why are you guys going to Edinburgh? You don't need to do that. That's kind of a, you know, an early career kind of thing. And I'm like, not in my head. Like, I think this is like kind of, we're performing for 25 days. Like to me, that feels like a true actual like performance that we've never done before. And it's this huge festival it's international so in a way it's like however you choose to perceive you know success and you know levels and hierarchies of what it means to be here or down here it's kind of all up to you in some sense well nick you you were just talking about like disruptions and the pandemic was a huge disruption for everybody but right, right before that though you guys made a series of videos for comedy central digital featuring two other comedians Milana and Akil. Yeah. 
That was great fun. We love doing that. That was sort of like a a weird kind of backdoor pilot for a sketch show that would be featuring Milana and Aquila. And uh, yeah, Milana reached out and was basically just like, this is zero money, but would you want to, you know, would you want to come make some sketches with us? And we were like, yeah, sure. And we had a, we had a great time working with them. Uh, it was great, I was inclined to say no at first. Cause I was always like, no, we're Britannic. We're very specific and insular about what we do. And I made a, like kind of an effort to myself to start saying yes to other people and things right before Nick sort of asked me to, because Milana texted Nick about it. And I was like, yeah, let's just do it. Cause I felt like my instinct for my whole adult life is to like, was to shun away from that kind of thing. But for this, I was like, let's see if it's fun. And it was a lot of fun. And that was kind of a nice, like, also we had no other job. So we had to like, open up and like bring other people in and you know be open to things like that but that was uh that was great and then comedy central kind of uh died when the pandemic hit i feel like and the show did not go but i think those sketches are great and that akila mon are great performers well comedy central died not so much directly from the pandemic as much as from viacom cbs paramount oh yeah just getting burned into yeah. oblivion, yeah. Brian, you just mentioned the the Edinburgh run. What was it that made you guys go? Why don't we try doing live stuff again? We were going to do it in 2020, um, and then the pandemic hit, so mm-hmm. we were already prepared. I had gone in 2018 to see our friend Natalie Palomitas do her show okay. Nate. Natalie, the other star of the Britannic pilot, was shot in 2014. We, I started performing there, and I just was there for 72 hours, and I was like, this place is amazing. I loved it. I loved the vibe. I loved the spirit. And then I talked to Nick about it, and Nick was like, yeah, I'd love to perform in Scotland. So it was just sort of in our head for two years. And yeah, then- and we'd heard of it even before then, but we just didn't know, like, the like, how do you even do this? Right. How, you know, how does what's the path forward? And and Alex Edelman, our our director for this show, had always been a big proponent of us going. He was like, yes, you should go. You should definitely go. Oh my gosh! And then, and he helped kind of like maybe set up some introductions. I think, or we were going to go in 2019 actually, really? and we got a. I think we got like assembly. Alex Hall of Assembly had like was like, yeah, I can give you this slot. Yeah, we were a little late in getting everything set up, but we got a performance slot and they were like, you need a publicist and a producer. And I don't remember which one we couldn't find at that late date, but we could, we like, I think we got a publicist and then it was like every, all the producers were, their slates were full. So we didn't, uh, and so then, well, then we were like, whatever, we'll try again next year. And then we were, we, you know, Zach Zucker, yeah, us into going with Stamptown. And, and I was uh, really lucky that we found Zach. And we we're like, I've always wanted to do this festival. And he's like, I run a production company. I'll handle everything. You guys are under my umbrella. Let's go. And so then he was like, he knows how to do this. And like, he, it's, it's crazy. Like there's so many people on our team helping us out. And we would have, the idea that we tried to do this by ourselves at the beginning is hilarious because <laughs> yeah. it is such a production and we're just like fielding emails every day and don't really know what's happening. So yeah. And Alex, your director, Alex Edelman, he won Best Newcomer when he went, so he yeah. must know does. <laughs> how to ingratiate yourself with the Scots. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. how does it feel? You know, I saw your your test run show at Asylum, the old UCB basement under Gristini's show, and it was a lot of fun, but it seemed like you're really still kind of like testing what it's like to do shows live again. Yeah. I mean, Well, we hadn't performed any of those. I mean... 
a lot of those sketches we hadn't performed in like five years. Some, you know, the most recent time would have been the 2020 SF Sketch Fest. We would have performed some of them at. So it had been two years since we performed any, like anything live. Uh, and, and then, and then we also did, you know, that, that was like a very fat show. That was like us just being like, here's a whole ton of sketches. Let's like actually survey the audience and see what they like. And, 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 and that was really interesting to do that, to actually like hand out surveys and be like, which sketches did you like? Which sketches didn't? Because for every sketch, there's like somebody that loves it and somebody that hates it. And so there's a really cathartic, wonderful thing of like seeing very, very quite clearly, oh, you can't please everybody. Like you're gonna, you know, some people are like, oh, you definitely cut that sketch. And another person's like, that one needs to, that's the best one. Like you got to do that. So it's, it's really interesting weighing all yeah, that it's it's nice and also it's a little bit like frustrating because you get in your own head a little bit of like oh wait are we going to do the perfect show and like okay this sketch should start but this person hated that sketch so maybe we should just cut it entire like you can kind of go there if you really you know let yourself freak out about it too much so hopefully we're just going to try to follow our own instinct and figure out what the sketch show is really supposed to be but yeah i mean we're trying to figure out if there's a way to turn it more into like a show show, like a theatrical show with a thread to it than just a bunch of sketches. And, you know, sometimes I think that it's cool to elevate a sketch show. And sometimes I'm thinking like, oh, I'll just give them sketches. That's all I want to see when I see a sketch show. So it's like, is there something in the middle there? So we're just trying to figure out what it really wants to be. But that was a great first show. I mean, people seem to love it. So that was a that at least made us feel comfortable that we had something. Yeah, Nick's mom had a great time. I sat right next to her. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you are you able? I know this is a this is a tough question to ask, but are you able to look past Edinburgh at this point? As I'm talking to you in mid July, or yeah. do you kind of have tunnel vision in terms of well, we have this we have this 25 night run. We have to get everything in place. And no, then we can take a break and then figure out no, what's next. No, yeah. not at all. Because we're, we're doing Edinburgh is, I mean, like Edinburgh is, is, you know, Edinburgh we're kind of doing for fun. Like we've got, we've got two separate other jobs that we're doing. We're writing at the exact same time right now. So it's like, we're going to be doing that throughout Edinburgh. Like during the day, we'll be writing these okay, things. Nightmare. Yes. And then, and so then immediately afterwards, you know, I think we'll probably still be working on, you know, one yeah, or yeah. both of them. But then also we are going to probably perform in London at some point after that, the Soho Theater. Um, and then we, you know, our Britannic movie, it's a little bit on hold right now because we're just working on all these projects we always have always wanted to do. And that's something we've been kind of writing a bit in the past couple of months. So, yeah, we have ideas and then you know if anyone ever approaches us about doing a sketch show you know we're down so um yeah it's uh we, we have a lot of things after edinburgh that we have to jump back into well i'm excited to uh i'm excited to see how the show evolves myself but i mean i've been a fan of yours for what 15 of the 20 years it's going to take for you to get to yeah, 42 exactly. so you have three quarters of it yeah. thank you so much yeah so around 
<laughs> I, I really appreciate you guys sitting down with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is great. This man. is a crazy question to ask now at the end. Was this a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> this, yes. Okay, cool. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbird Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.